0: Welcome to the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. If you would like to learn more information about how to run a scientific podcast, then visit azonetwork.com forward slash podcast. Our guest today is Sam Keenley, who is Director of Demand Generation at Refine Labs. I started the podcast by asking Sam what the difference was between lead generation and demand generation.
1: Starting off with the difference, lead gen, demand gen. The easiest way that I like to think of it is lead gen is very short term based, demand gen is much more long term. So I'll let you decide which you think is better, which one you want to do. Um, but the way that I usually approach it is lead gen short term. So oftentimes you'll see this spoken as it's how do we acquire contact information for follow up by an SDR or a sales rep of some type. Usually it's through something like a gated ebook, a webinar, something where you're, you're saying, hey, you can attend this, but you have to give us this information first in order to access the content. So um, it worked 10 years ago. 15 years ago when things and services like ZoomInfo didn't exist. So you didn't really have a way of acquiring the contact information of a lot of people in your ICP. But now with tools and technology like ZoomInfo, you can just go to their database, say, I want to hit these industries, these job titles, these company revenue sizes, and it'll pop out the list for you. So I think it's stuck a little bit in the transition from old marketing into new marketing, where People look at it as we've always done it this way at work. So why would we stop doing it and not thinking about the cost efficiencies and also the new user experience that comes into play where people know what's going to happen if you sign up for something. They're going to get those emails that they don't want. They're going to get the follow-up from the SDO when they don't want to buy anything yet. So it's something that you have to balance. So the flip side of it is what we call demand gen, which is much more long-term based. So this is how do you develop and retain customers over time And a lot of it has to do with creating awareness in the market of your brand, your product, what you can help with. And so what you do is you communicate through your content to these users through ungated content. So here's the opposite side of the lead gen. You're not gating everything. You're giving it away for free so people can understand and draw the connections between what your company does, how it relates to their role, and how you can help. But since it's not a sales pitch, they see it as you just looking to educate the market and whether that's speaking to the day-to-day pains that they might experience or how they can improve and perform better in their jobs, it's it's providing value before you ask for something. So when they do enter the market, you'll be top of mind because what we've seen is more often than not, maybe one to 2% of your audience is actively in market shopping at any given time. So that's 98 to 99% that aren't. So if you're only running specific like product ads to get a demo now, or gating everything, then you're excluding a huge, huge chunk of your market. So if you treat it the other way around, where you can run some things on the back end, you know, run some product feature ads that are going to capture that one to 2% or some high intent Google search ads. So say that you're selling financial software, if you type in best financial software, you can pop up and capture that. But you also need to let people know who might be in that market three, six, 12 months from now, that you're you're able to help them out and start to create that relationship before the sales rep needs to reach out and then try to pull them through. This way, the prospect comes to you and they're already saying, "I know exactly what you can do, how you can help me. I want to get a demo and start moving forward with this process."
0: Okay, so yeah, the we've always done it this way. The the six words no marketer ever wants to <laughs> wants to hear when they're joining a company are there. I just want to pick on the short term, long term aspect. So a lot of marketers, especially when they go into a new role. For example, they'll be expected to have some some quick wins uh, to make their mark. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners that will resonate with if they're running a demand gen program. Is that simple? Is that straightforward? Is that possible?
1: I think you have to get some buy-in, and a lot of it comes down to who is the team that you're working for. What is the mindset of the leadership? I know that. Um, CEO of our company, Chris Walker, he and Dave Gerhardt chat a lot about don't work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing. Uh, Not saying that you (laughs) shouldn't go and do that, but they're trying to make the point of if you know that you're going to have to be fighting an uphill battle the whole time that you're probably not going to win that battle. So by being able to explain the benefits of why we should approach this methodology instead of the old, if, You're able to speak in the language that execs care about, which is usually pipeline revenue. So how do you tell them that just because you have a huge quantity of leads doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be driving a lot of revenue? But one thing that we like to do is take it down from stop focusing on these lead goals and let's start focusing on opportunities. Count like count of opportunities created each month, or pipeline, or closed one deals because that's what they should care about in the end. So you can usually run a quick analysis of showing here's 100 leads that we did through this short-term lead gen campaign. 1% of them convert at $10,000 per op, $25,000 customer acquisition cost, whereas we run this long-term demand strategy. We only generated 10 leads, but seven of them convert and four turn into closed one deals. You run the number at the bottom if they're not concerned about the cost per lead, but they're focused on customer acquisition cost, which they should be if they're trying to run a healthy long-term business. That's where you can help to create that conversation with the execs and start to bring them on board of this is what we're aiming for. This is why we want to take this strategy and here's what the end results of it would be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think when you can start talking to the C-suite about numbers that aren't ones that marketers like to talk about, leads, yeah. likes, all this sort of thing, and you start talking in terms of this is the money marketing generated revenue mm-hmm. you're going to be taken more seriously within your company and then when you do want to try new things exactly it's going to be a, a more reciprocal conversation isn't it and you you spoke about the customer briefly then customer acquisition costs i want to talk about customers in general so they are the bread and butter marketers need to know about their customers so how would you or how do you get to know your customers and how would you recommend marketers listening today get to know their customers better
1: Yeah. So at an in-house company where you have your ICP and everything else, how do you talk to your customers? Go talk to your customers. So one thing that we usually say is pick up the phone and call. Tell them I'm not looking to sell you anything. I'm not even a sales position. I couldn't sell you anything if I wanted to. But I want to better understand you, your role, what your day-to-day looks like so I can build a better product to support you, your mission, your revenue, everything that would help you to do better in your job. And that's what I want to... Able to do here. So, to be able to do that, it would just be empowering yourself or talking to your manager to say, This is what I want to do. Do you mind if I go talk to sales and get a list of 10, 20, 30 customers that I can reach out to and just do some impromptu calls with them? And then have a list of questions that you would want to know um, to be able to determine future things, such as Are we targeting the right people? Is this messaging clicking or not clicking? Is there specific product features that are really important to the customers that we don't even realize. So making it into a little bit of an exercise where you're going to be working to benefit the customer just as much as you're going to be benefiting your outbound marketing efforts by making it more relevant to the right people. And you, you mentioned about uh, going to the sales team. Do you have
0: any tips if in case there's some sort of pushback from the sales, or we don't want you talking to to our to our clients? We only we're the the face of this this customer. We talk to them. Is there any? Any tips there that you can you can uh, we can we can use to get sales on board with this?
1: Yeah, I'd say there's a couple different options. One would be if they have a regular standing meeting with them, or if they just do a regular check-in. Can I join that call with you? Would you mind if I just took ten minutes of the agenda just to talk through some of the stuff? Uh, don't need to eat up your whole time, but usually they'll respect that and they'll they'll work it in, and they can make it into a good conversation with the customer as well, or. If there's certain customers they don't want you to talk to, you'd be like, okay, that's fine. Are there other customers that you'd be willing to to share with me? Um, usually, when you when you let them know at the end that this is going to be allowing you to build better marketing material to drive more qualified opportunities for them, that brings their guard down a little bit. So when you're positioning it in a way that lets them know they're going also going to be benefiting at the end from this, that should help bridge that conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Always always make them see or let them see that this is going to benefit them in the long run. Yeah, and They're your internal customer at the end of the day, aren't they? So if you can get your sales team on board and you can uh, show them the benefits, then then that should help a lot. I just wanted to pick up on the, um, the questions you're asking customers. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend having sort of four or five set questions? You ask the same ones to everyone? Or do you want to ask open-ended questions so you can really get sort of the insights from the customers?
1: Yeah, I'll probably have... You know, four to five high-level questions that would allow you to pick up on things such as, are we hitting the right job titles or buyer personas? Are we using the right messaging? Um, bucket it into those high-level things and then just wherever the conversation goes, start following with it, go deep on something. If you only spend 10 minutes of your entire call on, on two items, that's fine. You're using this as learning. You're not using this as a checklist where I have to hit these five items on every call it's really just an aggregation of all of your learnings that you're trying to get to at the end of the day. So don't feel like you have to rush conversations in order to make it feel like you're asking them a survey. But you know, you want to have a genuine conversation with them and they can feel if you're just going through a, a pre-put-together list or mm-hmm. if it's something that you're curious, your curiosity and you want to learn more about how you can benefit them, they'll, they'll understand that.
0: Yeah, and you said 10 to, 10 to 30 different customers. I think a lot of marketers, when they... When they consider doing this, they think, oh, I need to speak to hundreds and hundreds of customers. But yeah, you can get a pretty good
1: sort of insight into what mm-hmm. the, the market's thinking from speaking to 10, 20, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the big thing here is qualitative insights. You, you can run, I mean, people are running NPS promoter surveys all the time. Like you can get those quantitative insights from all over the place. What we're looking for are the qualitative what are the little quotes that they say that you couldn't pick up on a survey about why this one feature is just great for their organization or them picking up and saying, the relationship that we have with our sales rep is so much more than just a sales rep, he's a true part of our team. Like That's not going to show up on some type of quantitative survey. So that's where you're able to use that. And you can use quotes like that in your messaging going out or ask them to build a customer story. There's so many other ways that you can go. So it's definitely... Using it to foster that relationship and look for those meaningful insights instead of just core data points. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a there's a really good book on this subject that
0: so good that I've forgotten the name, <laughs> but I'll uh, I'll drop the link into the into the pod comments when I remember it, if I ever remember it. Uh, Sam, I wanted to move on to social
1: strategy. Um, sure. so for you, what does an effective B two B social strategy look like? Value. Provide value. That should be your number one goal. Um, Think about your your behavior when you are on, so you wanna talk about social media strategy, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on LinkedIn, you're on TikTok, I don't care where you are, you're not there to be pitched or sold to, you're killing time, you're looking to be entertained, you're looking to get educated about something. So how do you provide value within that context because that's how your content, your message is going to be consumed so figure out who's your who's your ICP, who do you want to get in front of, and then how do you create content that fits that medium, whether it's a LinkedIn post, whether it's a video on Instagram or whatever it may be, but make it so it fits the medium that they want to be entertained, educated by, and give it away for free. Again, we're looking to create awareness with your product, with your brand, build relationships so they come back, um, and really just engage with them where they are if they wanted to be sold to, they would come to your website or they would be going to Captera G2 to go and compare your product to another, but that's not what they're doing. So um, provide value, meet them where they are and just be candid. So um, people have a very good sense of when you're you're being honest, candid with them about, are you trying to provide value or, or do you have some ulterior motive behind this? So if you think of it as, you know, you get a LinkedIn connection request from someone that's that looks like it's a great person to meet. It's a CEO of a company that you've always followed. And then as soon as you accept, you're followed up with an in-mail message. Hey, I would love to chat for 15 minutes. Do you have time where I can tell you all about my product? So those are the the... Things that have slowly become the bane of most people's existence on LinkedIn. So I wonder if people are actually replying to those because when they come up, I can't think of anything.
0: Literally, have you got five minutes tomorrow to chat after I've just accepted your request?
1: Yeah. No, I don't know who you are. (laughs) No. It's like, you don't know who you are or what the value is. Like Clearly, you haven't identified me as someone that could buy from you, but I don't know who you are. You haven't created that relationship with me. I don't even have awareness of your product or anything yet. So no, I'm not ready for that conversation. And also, maybe it's just me, but I'm very guarded and protective of my time. And I almost take it as an offense where someone would say, do you have 30 minutes tomorrow or Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is, where we can hop on a call. I'm like, you need to do your work to earn that conversation before I just willingly go and throw this out. So I think that's something that's that's becoming a little bit of a shift. But I guess if I have, if I had to summarize it all down for social media strategy, it's create relationships, not leads. And that's what's going to help drive long-term positive business for your organization. Yeah. And how, so yeah, creating content and creating communities
0: is, is what it's all about. What about, how does your sort of paid social strategy fit in with, with the organic strategy? Would you say, does it supplement it? Is it completely
1: separate? Um, I would say it supplements it. So the organic strategy is going to be people that already actively, follow you. They already know who you are, what your brand is. But if you're also creating paid content for the people that do follow you, it should be very similar content at the end of the day. And if your end goal is aimed to provide value, it shouldn't matter if someone's a customer, a prospect, a partner, you need to be providing value to them. So it should be able to benefit one just as much as the other. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And there was one other thing about social media that I
0: think it's interesting is the sort of the importance companies now putting on their social presence in order to attract talent. Mm-hmm. Um, how, was that a fa- factor for yourself? And do you think that's an important thing that modern marketers need to, be, need to be
1: thinking about going forward? Yeah, that's so funny you bring that up. Our chief customer officer, Megan, just posted about this today for our own organization where it's, it's just as important to attract talent for your company as it is to attract prospect. So how do you leverage social to let people know that like, we're a great team or here's what to expect if you join. Here's a candid response to what's a day in the life like in this type of role or um, any myriad of questions that you wish you could ask in the interview process, but you're probably a little worried because you're more preoccupied with wanting to get the job and look good than you are of asking these more in-depth questions that you usually figure out after. So Um, There's a lot of ways that social has helped to amplify this, whether it's just people sharing candid experiences about um, their role or uh, their experiences about, I know a big topic right now is like mental health and how people are able to reflect on that in their company. And then you can see their CEO or other team members surrounding them with like, hey, we're here for you. We totally get that and support it. Like, take your time or you have the cold shoulder CEO that's like, get back to work, You're uh, go back to the coal mine, you know, I'm not paying you to moan and groan on LinkedIn. So um, I think that it is, it is something that you're seeing more amplified on social lately is, is those types of relationships within a company and how open or not open people are to share insights about what is it like working at your company. You can easily tell like, do they love what they do or are they just there for the paycheck? Yeah, because you can look at a,
0: a job description or a website, and you can see all the benefits, work from home, uh, healthcare, etc., etc., etc. But then mm-hmm. you go onto the you go onto LinkedIn, you go onto their Instagram page, you can really and you find the people who work there, and then you can really delve into what the culture is actually like. Yeah. What it says in a job ad and what it's really like is probably going to be quite different in many mm-hmm. cases. So I think uh, definitely something for marketers going forward if they want to attract the top talent. Having that social presence is going to be uh, is going to be really important for them. Yeah. Now I wanted to speaking of we spoke of the C suite a little bit earlier on. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about. Have you got any suggestions for marketers who want to persuade their C suite of new marketing initiatives? If they wanted to present some new ideas they've had, maybe demand generation versus lead generation. Maybe it's just, or we want to spend more time than we did producing organic uh, LinkedIn content because it does take time to to come up with the ideas of what you're going to share and to create the strategy. Mm-hmm. And without being able to present direct results straight away, there's going to be a bit of pushback potentially from from the execs. So have you got any hints? I know we spoke a bit about it before, but any hints uh, specifically for, let's take the organic uh, social strategy as an example for that.
1: Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's you have to sell them kind of like you would sell products. So what is your C-suites? and goals, and how can you play into that? What, How is this initiative going to tie into what they want to accomplish with the company? So what I like to do is create a high-level map of what are the initiatives that you want to do, so the organic social, and then how does that relate to pipeline revenue? Because again, we figure the most C-suite cares about dollars in, dollars out at the end of the day. So um, one thing that we... I, th- I think this actually applies really well for the organic social strategy is if you take a step back from the fiscal, the financial pitch, and just say, when was the last time that you evaluated a product or made a large purchasing decision? Did you hear about it from a peer or a colleague? Did you listen to a podcast to find out more? Did you read a blog post? Did you watch something on YouTube? So all of these are going to help the C-suite slowly get out of that attribution mindset where they think, okay, if I spend $100,000 on Google ads, I need to get this type of return in order to make it profitable. But all of these are channels that you really can't do much attribution with, but we know that they heavily influence our buying behavior. So by putting them in that frame of mindset, that helps for them to get out of the, I'm not going to let you do a podcast because I know it won't work, or I won't let you post from my LinkedIn page because I can't attribute any revenue back to it. But by pointing out the places where they go for their info to make those decisions, that brings their guard down like, okay, actually, he has a point that does make sense. And then when you can associate that back to here's what the full buying behavior looks like, someone watches your video on LinkedIn, and then they go and type in www.companyname.com. That's going to show up as direct attribution. But you can usually see correlations between um, new user website traffic daily. And then when you put a post up, if there's a spike and this happens frequently, you can start to spot those trends where you can say, this is the difference that it's making. It's not 100% attributable, but you know that it is making that impact based on your own experience and what we see in the data. So with attribution, because it's so complex and execs like
0: to see sort of black and white, Mm -hmm. do you recommend using graphs, like you say, or look at this spike after we did this, but we, we didn't have any uh, specific campaign running for this. We just did that. Mm-hmm. Is that a good way of uh, proving
1: that the attribution model isn't as effective as people think it is? I think it helps to establish credibility because data is hard to argue with. So if you can go in with a good story and then come back to them a week, two weeks later after running a handful of experiments and showing that to them, They'll understand it and then that'll lower their guard on the needing the the hard attribution because they understand the data, the correlations They do make sense. So then when you come back later, you don't have to do this exercise every time with them, but it helps for them to say, okay, this does make sense. They've shown that the data matches the hypothesis. They proved this out so we can run with this moving forward and then we'll look to see what are the long-term results of this. So we're seeing some leading indicators, but in a month, two months, three months, whatever our sales cycle is, I want to start seeing is this impacting revenue in the manner that you were anticipating? Because if we generate a hundred dollars for every 100 visitors and now you're saying we're going to get 300 visitors, is our revenue going up with that over time or is it staying the same even though we're driving more visitors and that's where you can tie it back to the, the end goal? Yeah. So always tying back to, to revenue is the,
0: is the key I guess. Um, for that group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at the moment, for your company, Refine Labs, there seems to be a big focus on podcasts, organic, uh, organic social. What do you think's going to be? How does, How do you think B two B marketing is going to evolve over, the, let's say, the next five, ten years? Or is it too soon to be looking that far down the? That far
1: down the line. That's a loaded question. Um, I'm going to give you both ends of the spectrum on this. So, over the next five to ten years, I'm going to say that marketing is going to transform massively. There's going to be a whole slew of new platforms, tech, all that stuff rolling out. And that's the exciting part for us marketers with a lot of ADD. There's always something new to learn, something new to test and try out. Um, New content, new mediums to be pushing it out to. So that's definitely going to change. But on the flip side of it, I don't think it's going to change at all because at the end of the day, it's human psychology and relationships are what drives it. So you have to balance both. Um, I think that understanding and truly wanting to benefit your prospect, your customer at the end of the day and create those relationships, that's never going to change. That should always be your mission, your focus, but how you're reaching them, the medium that you're getting in front of them with, that's probably going to change a huge amount next year, let alone in five to 10 years. It always always, it always, always fascinates me
0: when you have all this new tech that comes out all the time that can do all these amazing things, but the basics are still the same as they were when businesses first started, yeah and the, and I think that's another we talked to before about attracting the best talent that's going to be a competitive advantage a competitive advantage for people looking to move on in their marketing career to have the basics because people are coming into the industry, knowing how to use all the the tech that's out there but don't know the basics, don't know enough about the customer, and I think that's something that people should should definitely uh Pay close attention to absolutely. I say. Um, what about distribution channels? If you had to, if you had to guess one distribution channel in the next year that was going to be, the, I hate to use the phrase, the next big thing. What do you, uh, what do you reckon that would
1: be? Next big thing. Oh, let's see. People are going to be out traveling again. I know. I personally pulled back some. I'm listening to podcasts because I'm just not commuting as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. So, I think podcasts might even grow further um, for B2B, especially. I mean, we're seeing more and more people understand the value of it. So I think we've only scratched the surface and and how many are out there. People think that the space is saturated because there's five marketing podcasts. Like if there's five comedy movies, does that mean that the comedy space is saturated? No, there's so many routes to go and so many niches to go down into. So I would, I would still double down on podcasts as being a very strong channel. And then how do you not only use that as a microphone type channel but how do you use it to foster conversations at scale where you can bring in a group of 25 50 100 people to use it as a live q a session or other items like that so i think that it's going to be uh how do we share information but how do we also use that same channel and whether it's a different day of the week or a set cadence how do we also pull in people where they can create those relationships back with us Yeah, absolutely. So we're big fans of podcasts. The whole point of the podcast running at the moment is so
0: we can speak to interesting people like yourself to share marketing knowledge, share marketing ideas with our audience um, in the hope that they have one takeaway every time they listen, gets them thinking about something they're doing at the moment. Uh, That's really our goal here. And if there is anyone listening to the podcast who would like to appear on, feels like they've got something to add, then please do uh, get in touch with us at Azo Network and we'll be happy to have a conversation with you. Sam, I wanted to finish off by talking a bit about you and uh, your journey as a marketer. Usually people do this at the start. I like to do it at the end. Um, what? Uh, so I was interested when I was reading a bit about some of your stuff that you had um, college sport was a big influence on you and you take a lot of those skills you developed there into your business career. Can you talk a little bit about that for us?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I grew up playing soccer from... 2 year old kicking a tennis ball around all the way through college so it was a little bit of a shock to me when at the end of senior year of college that I'm done with competitive soccer for the rest of my life so you know you've you've set up 21 22 years of your life around this one sport gain all these skills work up towards becoming what you think is the best and then you're done what do you do with it so a lot of it was having some tough internal conversations with myself and saying, you know, you're getting older, you probably can't keep up with these young kids anymore. So maybe fine tuning your soccer physical skills aren't the best thing to do. But there's a lot that you learn from it from a mental side that I think have really helped me just regardless of what industry or job role you get into. I think that sport translates well just to um, self-awareness, self-discipline, being able to take feedback and not see it as something that's an attack on you, but something to be improved upon. Because if you're a soccer player like me, my coach would always laugh at me and say, your left foot is terrible. You need to learn how to use it better. So I would, if I was taking that as an attack, I would stop. I would get very um, you know, self-conscious about it. But instead, I'd go out and i kick the ball 100 times with my left foot and slowly make it better. So being able to continuously seek out feedback in your career, I think that that's going to help you identify weak areas and grow into the next role that you want to take on that was a, a massive lesson that I got from it. Another one, I know we've we've talked about relationships a little bit here, but like relationships are everything, regardless of if it's with a prospect, with your colleagues, with your manager, with your family, whoever it may be. But um, team chemistry is a very real thing. And one thing that I've grown to appreciate is, is our team has grown. And as um, I've taken on more responsibilities with teammates over time is you don't want to have the same skills as everyone. You don't want to be the best at everything It's going to be a drain on your time. So how do you balance each other out and look for skills that complement yours well and then create a team around that? So I know there was, what was it, like the, the Oakland Athletics, the Billy Bean system where he was plugging in different pieces of where people had different skill sets to make the best team by stats. So not saying you need to go and create your company on on that same methodology, but if you want 100 of the best Google search ads people, you're probably going to struggle a little bit with emails and and other parts of it. So figuring out how do you construct a company that is well-balanced and the pieces play well with each other instead of grinding against each other if someone's better than someone else in in a different skill that they might not have. Um, And the last one I would say is intangibles. So those are still key. I mean, you can't teach the hustle mindset to someone in sport And similarly, in companies, you find that people that succeed are often the ones that do things that don't scale. So the people that send the handwritten thank you notes after they meet with a prospect or the people that are staying late, not because they want to hit the revenue goal, but because they promised their customer or their prospect that they'd get a follow up item to them. So just doing the right thing and wanting to do the best job that you can, I think is 100% something that also transfers over to um, any career. Yeah, and then teamwork. Yeah. I guess coming from soccer, it's a big one. I'm a rugby. Well, was a rugby player,
0: so <laughs> teamwork was a was a massive one for us. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't worry about the left foot. There's plenty of uh, plenty of very successful footballers I can think of, or soccer players who haven't got a left foot. So I wouldn't worry about that too much, Sam. Uh, what about? So let's just finish off on on some marketing. Um, how do you in this ever changing world? How do you keep on top of uh, the new marketing ideas. And then perhaps if you could share a favorite marketing book or influencer that you, that you get your ideas from.
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say a lot of it just stems from curiosity and staying in platforms or mediums, whatever the new shiny object is that you're building out, go and look and experiment for ways of how can you use this to get in front of the people that you want to get in front of? How can you get creative with a different type of creative medium if everyone's using static imagery, maybe I I use a video instead. Or maybe I get a little bit different. If everyone's using blue, let's go red. So just always look to test and experiment with things. I think are the best learning. I mean you can read a book a hundred times, but until you go and execute on something, I think that's when a lot of the learnings get locked in. So I'm very much of the the go do it mindset and either there's no failure. You either succeed or you found something out that you're not going to do again. There's always something to be gained from it. So Um, things like that. And then always talking with clients and understanding their goals. So businesses, their needs change over time. Yes, revenue is always going to be there. But sometimes they're going to be focused on we need to bring in more prospects. Sometimes it's going to be focused on we need to roll out these five new product features or whatever they may be. So just talking to clients and understanding what are those changing needs in their landscape, and then how can we address those and then tying that back to all the tools in your toolbox. And what can we do to effectively communicate that out to them? And and provide value to them in their day to day. As it relates to marketing books, influencers, um, Chris, Chris Walker, our CEO, would probably kill me if I said that anyone else is my favorite influencer outside of him. Um, <laughs> all jokes aside, no, he is—he's—he's he's a brilliant mind, and I absolutely love getting to work with him and, and learn from everything that he talks about. He is. He's one of the few that I have seen that don't only talk the talk, but he walks the walk. He actively manages clients. He is in the platform day to day. I don't question his ability, and he's not off delegating things on the side to someone to go and execute where he takes all of the credit for it. So um, I've, I've definitely learned a lot from him, and definitely recommend if you haven't listened to him or, or checked him out that he's he really knows his stuff in marketing. For books. This is probably going to be controversial for you, so I apologize in advance. But Whoa. you you read a handful of marketing books, business books, and they all kind of turn out to be the same thing after the first chapter. So they're great, like right coming out of college, to get you excited, to get you motivated. But I can't say I've read a truly earth-shaking business book in the last five years. I I try to read like three, four books a month, so I always have things in my mail But what I found that I've always coming back to our books around psychology biographies or philosophy and so a lot of these and what i found is that you translate a lot of what you learn from their stories or human psychology is the same regardless of if it's an experiment over in eastern europe if it is a rat maze or if it's just talking about um you know how do what's like what's human nature look like. So, uh, Robert Greene, he has a, a handful of different books. Some of them are a little, uh, controversial because he, he has a lot of blunt truths in them. It's kind of like Machiavelli and the Prince. Like there are a lot of things that people know. They don't, I don't necessarily say go and do these things, but there's a lot of insights into how do humans really truly behave, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. Um, And other things like biographies, I love to learn from people how they've navigated stressful times, success, failure, anything like that. So whether it's someone like Theodore Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, or uh, David Beckham, um, there's something that you can learn and translate into your day-to-day and just overcoming whatever it may be that you're looking to get through. So it might not be how did someone overcome this specific marketing problem, but when you attack the problem at a high level, how did they approach it? How did they um, come at the problem? How did they set themselves up to accomplish it and everything else? So I really like drawing parallels between things, and that's also what has helped spur a lot of creativity because you're not staying in this marketing or business box, but you've got this much larger lens on how this applies in, in many other instances.
0: I think that's a I think that's a good a great place to finish on Sam. Uh, thank you very much for for your time. If you want to find out more about what Sam's been getting up to uh, over at Refine Labs, and we'll be sharing his uh, LinkedIn page in the comments of the podcast. So do do send him uh, do send him a thank you uh, and connect with him if you if you want to find out more. Sam, been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thank you. This has been great.
0: Appreciate it. A big thank you to Sam for sharing his thoughts and ideas with us all today. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. We'll be back again soon with more marketing tips and tricks from the Marketing Science Podcast. Thanks for listening.